Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Helper. Are you in search for the perfect health insurance? Well, look no farther because they are the ultimate platform that revolutionizes the way that you find, enroll, and manage your health coverage. HealthBird offers an innovative solution that is tailored just for you. They have a lightning-fast search engine that you can effortlessly compare health insurance quotes in milliseconds. There's no more tedious hours of browsing endless websites or spending hours on the phone with insurance agents. They offer a user-friendly app available on iOS and Android, which puts the power of managing your health insurance right at your fingertips. So again, you know, don't let the complexity of health insurance overwhelm you. Join Helper community and experience a seamless, intuitive platform that puts you in control. So get a quote today at healthbird.com forward slash dealmakers. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So super excited about the guest that we have today. We're going to be talking about building, scaling, financing, I mean, transitioning from a service-based business to a venture-backed business. I think that that's quite the journey, and I think that you're all going to find this inspiring. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Nelson Chu. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So born and raised in New Jersey. Nelson, you know, quite the upbringing with a traditional, you know, mom and, and an entrepreneur dad. So tell us about growing up. Give us a walk through memory lane. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, definitely traditional upbringing in central New Jersey. Nothing too crazy. Uh, but my mother was definitely on the traditional side, like you mentioned. Uh, she basically said, you have to go to an Ivy League school. You have to become a doctor, a lawyer, or a banker, and then you'll be set for life. And me being the maybe quasi-entrepreneurial person at a very young age was like, I don't believe you. I'm not going to listen to any of that, basically. And my father, actually, who was an entrepreneur in his own right, he had co-founded a software company with a bunch of his friends. Uh, he was very encouraging of me to try and start new things, try new things, tinker with stuff. And his rule of thumb was basically, if it's under $1,000, you're not going to throw it away in two weeks, I'll buy it for you. So I was able to actually do a lot of creative stuff back in the day. I bought a Mac in like 1999 before anybody really cared about Macs back then, taught myself Photoshop, taught myself movie making, and so really flexed the side of my brain that was most certainly not academic. And that was great. Uh, but then ultimately had to go to college. And so went to a not Ivy League school. Uh, and that's sort of how I evolved from there. But, you know, it was a, it was an important part of my life, I think, for where I got to today, uh, in terms of being able to tinker with the creative side of my life and my brain that I didn't have before. And I give a lot of credit to my father for that. Although my mom did contribute to a lot of other things that are very good about me as well. But yes. And also, uh, you went to Rutgers and, and, and basically you studied there uh, political science and then also economics. And you accelerated the whole thing, you know, in three years. I mean, that's quite an achievement. So why, why, why were you so, so in a hurry? Yeah, I was, I think, so done with academics. I didn't really like academics in high school. I definitely didn't like academics in college. But again, mom wanting me to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a banker, I swore off doctor because that's like seven years of med school. So that's definitely not happening. Uh, but for lawyer and banker, I was like, let me keep my options open. Maybe I'll go into finance. Maybe I'll go into law, econ, poli sci. It kind of works out. Uh, but I still want to finish quickly at the end of the day. And I managed to squeeze in a minor in philosophy as well, which probably 
is the most useful out of the, all the other three that I studied so far. My God, a little bit of everything. Uh, you know, what, when, when you actually graduated, you know, funny enough, you know, you, you joined the financial service space. And, uh, you know, it was, it was quite the time, you know, back then, because, I mean, obviously we were coming out of the economic meltdown. Uh, and uh, you joined Bank of America, you were doing wealth management and, and more of the same at BlackRock. But it sounds like, you know, the stints that you did there, you know, I mean, we're talking about a few years, just a couple of years. Basically, those were what propelled you into entrepreneurship. So tell us what happened, you know, in that journey. I mean, it sounds like it sounds like perhaps, you know, like you met, you know, whatever expectations you had from your mom. And then maybe you kind of like were like, OK, I made it. And I want to do my own thing. What happened there? What made you, you know, switch direction? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a very, very deep disdain for corporate culture that kind of made me take the plunge, ultimately. Uh, and when I was starting out my career at Bank of America, you know, it's a perfectly great company. And I did learn a lot, actually. And I actually, these days, even encourage anyone to hire to start the career in corporate, because you do learn a lot about professionalism and perfectionism and all those good things. Uh, but, you know, don't necessarily have to stay there for that long. Uh, but at Bank of America, I was doing wealth management and business intelligence on that side. Uh, was a great starting point for my career. But honestly, it was just very low impact, right? Everything I did didn't really make a difference on the bottom line for the business, ultimately. And that was just not for me. And so after a year and a half at Bank of America, I was thinking to myself, and I was getting told by friends, oh, you should join the buy side. Buy side is so much better than the sell side. And in my head, I'm thinking, all right, well, you know, let's go to the other side of the street, see how it goes. And so I joined the largest buy side shop on the street, like you mentioned, in BlackRock, on the operations side of fixed income portfolio management. And I, within two months, probably, I was like, you know what? I don't think any of part of finance is for me whatsoever. I'm so done with this. But just in case, you should probably see a, a job out for a year. So I stayed there for a whole year before I said, okay, you know what? The New York tech startup ecosystem is taking off in 2012, 2013. And now is the right time to take a plunge because how hard could it possibly be to build a startup? And I realized very quickly how hard it was to actually build a startup. So that's a whole other story, but yes. So, so when, you, when you actually you know, did that, that attempt of uh, doing a startup, I mean, obviously... You know, you, you did that and then you went into consulting and, and we'll talk about this just in a little bit because that's, you know, kind of like the segue on where you are today. But, you know, the, the saying of you either succeed or you learn, you know, is quite real. So I guess that from this first attempt, you know, where you all obviously did not find the desirable outcome that you had hoped for, I'm sure that you learned quite a bit. I, I guess what was the biggest lesson that you had to take away, you know, from that experience? Absolutely. And I totally agree with that sentiment. Uh, you have to, every single thing that happens in your life happens for a reason. And there's no good or bad about it. You just learn from it, right? If something was a great outcome, that's obviously a great outcome for you. And you learn the benefits of what worked in that situation. But if it was a not great outcome, you're a better person because of it. And so in that instance, that startup that I tried to do, it exploded within like six months. That was literally it. That was all I had had, right? And I had poured every dollar I had saved up from finance to try and make it and get it off the ground. But coming out of that, because I had no idea what I was doing, I was picking up sales skills, how to sell an idea to an investor, which I didn't really raise any money for, uh, how to design things, right? Because it has to look good. And all these things that I had actually done and tinkered with back when I was a lot younger in high school came back to bear in this instance for this startup I was trying to do. 
And it ended up being the springboard for the consulting company, like, like you were mentioning, because everything that I picked up there from the sales skills, the design skills, the PowerPoint skills, the deck skills was what got the consulting company off the ground. And so everything that I am today, everything that I've ever done uh, has been because the things that I have accomplished and learned from historically have gotten me to this point today. And I've leveraged every bit of it to be able to kind of get percent to what it is today. Now, now let's talk about the consulting, you know, gig that you did. So, so basically there, what you did is you became a consultant and you had your, your firm where you were helping others, you know, pretty much on building their own stuff. So what were some of the things that you learned? Uh, and, uh, you know, you even had like a, a really interesting success, you know, story there because you had a company that was incubated there and, and basically you guys ended up selling it. You know, the company ended up being sold to a private equity firm, but at least you were able to see the, the full cycle of a business, you know, and reaching that finish line. But I'm sure that, you know, it was quite the journey and, and quite, um, you know, uh, full of full of lessons too, you know, to, 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 to be able to have that nice uh, immediate turn towards building what ended up being percent. So, so what was, what were you guys doing there? And, and, and how would you say that that helped you to really give you that push to become, you know, a, a second time founder? Yeah, I almost always encourage, just like I encourage people to go into corporate, I also encourage people to work in services as well, because you learn a lot about how to create and operate a margin-driven business, right? Which is very different than a venture-backed company where you're flush with cash. Uh, but in the consulting capacity, it was also an exercise in how do I figure out uh, where we go next from here? What services do we add? Do we have the capacity for it? So it was very, very eye-opening in terms of just being open to new ideas and open to where you think a business can go and not saying no to anything, essentially, just keeping your eyes and options open. So when we first got started as a consulting company, it was coming out of the fact that the startup I had done had imploded. And so I was broke. So when you're broke, I'd argue you tend to do your best work because your back is against the wall. And the first clients I got was to do pitch deck work because the pitch deck I had, uh, granted the idea for the startup was terrible, but the pitch deck was great, uh, was to really do pitch decks for startups, right? And it was leveraging all the design work that I had known how to pick up and design skills that I had picked up. It was leveraging my financial modeling skills from working in, at BlackRock and Bank of America. And all that was pretty good, right? And so from there, uh, we started to have a lot of success with startups in raising money because they use our pitch deck to raise additional venture capital. And the good news is when you help a startup with raising venture capital, you feel like they feel like you were part of their journey. They end up coming back to you and saying, oh, can you do like, design work for me, like product and UI UX design? Can you do development for me? Can you do marketing? Can you do branding? And we kind of just crossed our fingers and said, yeah, we like totally have all those skills in house, like we'll help you here. And you just hire for it accordingly. And we built out our team from there. We maxed out about 15 people between design, product, engineering, etc. And it was really adjusting and, and expanding the team to fill the gaps that we were seeing from clients. So we didn't just say, oh, we're going to be known for pitch decks forever. It was being open to doing more, building more, expanding our offerings to be able to be more full service that has paid dividends for us here at Percent as well. And then from the incubation side and, and launching my support, I'm glad you bring that up. Um, it was because it was our first foray into saying, what could a potential venture-backed company look like? What does the process look like? Uh, what do you have to do to get things off the ground? Things like that. And it was a great experience in trying to sell a very uh, complex product into a very opaque and archaic industry, which is health insurance, essentially, and Medicaid. Uh, so that part of the process, I think, also gave me a lot of confidence in myself that I could actually do something like that again in capital markets, which is equally archaic and equally opaque and things like that. So 
everything I've done to this point has led me to what I am today. I don't regret any of it. And I think the ability to learn from everything, process everything internally in my head, and to figure out sort of, you know, how do we leverage and use pattern recognition to see what the path forward is, is what's critically important. But above all else, I think uh, the most important takeaway was to have a uh, overarching sense of confidence in yourself and your own abilities to be able to pull it off because the road is very rocky, very unstable, very unpredictable. And if you have in the back of your mind that everything's going to be okay and you're going to figure it out, then the likelihood of it being successful is significantly higher, even if that's not actually steeped in reality. So then, so then let's talk about that moment where the idea of percent became so clear. And what was that transition like from the service-based side to the venture-backed side? Because I think that here you had an advantage, you know, on your end, and that's the fact that you 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 didn't really need to like give like your notice and take the leap of faith and hope that things are going to work out and work night and day, you know, because you know you're about to die. I mean, in this case, you were able to perhaps transition at your own pace, you know, sort of saying. So walk us through that. How was that for you? Yeah, I think transition at your own pace is probably uh, underselling sort of the urgency that we had here in terms of trying to get percent <laughs> off the ground. Uh, yeah. But, you know, we were very fortunate. I, I attribute a lot of this to, to luck. And I think startups being successful, if people don't attribute some of it to luck, I think they're doing themselves a, they're doing themselves a over-representation of, of sort of their contributions to it. Uh, but um, in this instance, we had a team. Right? We had a team that knew how to build products. We knew had a team that knew how to market and, and build a brand. And so the thinking was always for the right idea, at the right time, we should do something the old-fashioned venture-backed way. And so Percent was part of the outcomes of a whiteboarding session, essentially, where we were like, what are the ideas out there in the market? And for better or worse, as much as I swore off financial services after leaving Bank of America and BlackRock, we kept getting a lot of fintech clients as our consulting clients. And so we were always in and around the hoop. And we saw the opportunities at the time that were out there that we thought we could do just a little bit better, right? And this is all, again, a lot of learnings that I've taken from advising founders, investing in companies, building the consulting company. We knew that if we can build a better mousetrap for an industry that is quasi-established-ish, you can probably get users to come to you. You don't need to kind of start from zero and build up a brand, build a reputation, sell people what you're doing. So back in 2017, 2018, there were a lot of alternative investment platforms that were out there, whether it's like, you know, investing in real estate, investing in other startups, investing in credit, things like that. And the challenge or the difference was we felt it wasn't very good for the investor to invest in these things. The investment maturities, the term that you'd have to lock up your money was like four to five years. That's crazy. Like a lot of startups, these startups don't even make it four to five years. And then the minimums were super high. So yes, if you were a hedge fund or ultra high net worth investor, it'd be $250,000 minimums. But these were $25,000, $40,000 minimums. That's also very not approachable for the average person. And the yield was pretty similar for everybody, right? 9 to 16%, give or take. And so we thought and we knew if we can just leverage everything that these companies have built, but offer a lower minimum product, so $500, very approachable, and offer a shorter duration product, call it three months, one month, six months, something like that, we'd be able to get a lot of interest from people who just, you know, are like to be able to try stuff before they actually commit to something. And so that was a starting point. And we knew that having advised founders for a long time, where you start, the idea on the back of the napkin isn't where you end, right? Just be open to the idea of taking it somewhere else. Just have a good enough idea to start. That was enough for percent to get off the ground. We were just a better alternative investment platform with a better mousetrap, and we knew we can get investors that way, and then we could figure it all out from there. Um, and so we had a team that knew how to do it. We built it very quickly. 
got uh, investor money because I knew investors uh, from building the consulting company. It all came together very nicely, even if there was uh, organized chaos going on behind the scenes. Hey, guys. So pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieverson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. So then so then tell us what ended up becoming percent. Uh, and then at what point, you know, like that switch, you know, happened. Yeah, I think it was always we knew that this I probably wasn't going to be where it's going to end, right? Because the market that we're going after is finite. There's only that many investors out there interested in private credit products. There's only that many investors out there who are interested in alternatives. And so there has to be something bigger here. And having gone through the process ourselves of doing these deals, trying to get you know companies who need uh, debt capital and investors want to invest in it on board, we recognized that there was no tech to speak of in this industry. And we also realized the industry was like multi-trillion. And so that's when we opened our eyes to the fact that rather than just being yet another platform or yet another investment bank or someone like that who's an intermediary in the space, we should just own the infrastructure. We should build all these sourcing capabilities, the structuring capabilities, the syndication capabilities, the surveillance capabilities. Because if we're having these problems as that intermediary, everybody else in the industry must be as well. And that's paid dividends as we're seeing interest and adoption what we're building because the incumbent solution is Excel, phone calls, and emails. So the bar is so low that we have a lot to work with here to make it that much better. And we are exponentially better than the alternative. So then how do you guys make money? Well, the good news is because we kind of are a software solution and there's so many participants in the space, we are able to charge everybody. Uh, but that means that if we could charge everybody, no one feels like they're getting taken advantage of. We don't gouge anybody. Uh, so we do charge the borrowers who need to borrow money uh, or get financing. Uh, we charge the intermediaries, the underwriters who do these deals and put that together. And we charge investors to be able to get access to the ecosystem. And we also have kind of pure play software solutions that we charge for on an a la carte basis if that's all they want. Um, so it is a very, very diverse business model that I think in a market like we're in today, uh, having a diversified revenue mix is super important. We definitely have that in spades thanks to the market that we're in. So I've heard you, you know, talk about, you know, also the evolution, you know, the market. 
What have you learned too about listening to the market so that you can adjust the execution towards it? That's a great question. I think the sometimes the market doesn't know what it needs. And that, that happens actually in, in various different industries. In ours in particular, uh, the difference is, are you that much better than what they do today? Uh, because it's just easier to do nothing and keep the existing workflows the same, right? And so for us, we knew that if we were to be successful in the space, we need to actually have something extremely robust and extremely comprehensive because that's the only way that it'll be successful. So there's been other companies that do one piece of the puzzle or they solve it for one side of the three-sided market. That's not enough, right? You actually need to have all three sides working in tandem to be able to uh, have it be worth their while to adopt software like this versus just sending an Excel file over email and then just figuring it out from there. So we spent the better part of four years building the alternative investment platform, uh, but behind the scenes, building software for all three sides to be able to actually then sell over time. And that's where we're at today, right? And we are in a position where we're very fortunate of having taken all the learnings of doing over a billion dollars in volume, over 400 transactions, applied all those learnings to the actual software side of the business and be able to sell a pure price software solution that is exponentially better. Because if it's not exponentially better, people won't do anything. They will just do exactly what they do today. And so we've spent the time, the effort, the money, the resources to do it in a very pragmatic and methodical way. And it's paying dividends now um, because we, we listened to the market. But we also knew where the puck was headed. And so we built for that and sort of led the horse to water, essentially. So let's talk about resources and capital. Let's double click on that. How much capital have you guys raised to date? And what has been the experience of going from one round to the next? Yeah, so we raised close to $50 million. Uh, as the data is recording, we actually had closed our Series B for um, a little over $30 million a couple months ago. Uh, so it's an, it's been an interesting exercise. I will say that what we do is not conventional for most venture capital investors. Capital markets in general is a complex industry that's not really well understood unless you're kind of in the space. Uh, so we've never really had that easy of a time fundraising, even during the zero interest rate environment where capital is very free and easy to come by. Um, so we've always had to sell the dream. And I think the reality with Capital Markets Company as well is that the revenue doesn't come for a while. But when it does, it accelerates very quickly from there. And we're kind of hitting that inflection point soon in the company's life. But until then, you are for sure selling that future vision, selling that comprehensive uh, feature set, selling the three-sided market, which is already a challenge. Uh, so it's never been an easy time for us. Um, and the most recent round, our Series B, was by far the most complicated, most difficult, right? Because I think it's with Series B companies, people are expecting you have all your growth levers in place, you have all your product market fit figure, figured out, and you're just really kind of putting money to scale. We use our Series B to do a fundamental transformation of the business from uh, alternative investment platform, marketplace, exchange, whatever you want to call it, into a pure play software solution. We're selling the dream of the future of software, right? So not an easy sell. And especially in the environment in 2022 for fundraising, where it was extremely difficult, we were very fortunate that we found believers uh, in our the future state of our business when they saw what we had built. And we ended up oversubscribing the round and also raising an evaluation that was higher than the prior round. And so that's, I think, rare in 2022, 2023. Um, that's a credit to sort of everything we put into the business at this point. Um, but it still took you know, 490 conversations with 147 VCs over the course of 12 months. Like that is by no means an easy uh, fundraising process by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, no kidding. Now, now you were talking about product market fit there and the importance of it. At what point was it evident that you guys had product market fit? 
So going back to our founding, I think we knew that we'd have product market fit from the get-go because there are other alternative investment platforms out there with different asset classes that are proven that investors like this type of stuff, right? So we knew that if we can just go out there with our own version of it, we'd be modestly successful and there's going to be product market fit. And that would buy us time to be able to turn the business profitable, that would buy us time to be able to build software that we can then sell into the future state. The future state, product market fit, I'll be the first to admit, and that's what the Series B funding was for, uh, we don't have it yet, right? Because we're not even really out to market. We are going to figure that out. Uh, but we do have four years of history, four years of learnings, four years of knowledge of what works in the market uh, based on our own experience of doing it. And the thesis that we're going to test very quickly is if it works for us, it should technically work for everybody else. But the jury's still out. We won't know until we actually launch it in earnest in Q4, Q1. Uh, and that's going to be the tell for whether this is actually going to be uh, evolving as we expected. But as is the case with every startup, uh, it's probably going to not go according to plan. It's going to cost you more money, more people, and more time than you expect. So if you bake that in, then you probably will be okay. I hear you. Now, now Nelson, imagine you go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of percent is fully realized. What does that world look like? That is a, a beautiful world that I probably have had either dreams or nightmares about uh, on a regular basis. But uh, the the world for that is really that every single uh, private market transaction is really flowing through our system, whether it's because we helped with the capital, whether it's because we helped with the workflow, the tooling, and everybody who transacts in that space, whether it's somebody who needs capital, somebody who helps support the transaction process, or somebody who's putting money to work, is using our platform to be able to make things happen. So you can think of it almost as like the Bloomberg for private markets, which doesn't really exist. That is the vision that we're building towards. That is a multi-billion dollar, multi-trillion dollar idea, as proven out by Bloomberg itself for public markets. And I think given everything we've done so far in the last few years, we are well on our way there. Now, let's, let's talk about, because we've been talking here about the future, I just want to talk about the past with a lens of reflection. So let's say I was to put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time, maybe to that moment where you were, you know, there at BlackRock, you know, uh, perhaps like thinking about doing something of your own and, and giving your notice. Now, let's say you had the opportunity of, of being able to just whisper, you know, on your younger self here, on that, on that you know, younger self of, of, of Nelson and, and being able to give that younger Nelson one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Yeah, it's. Uh, I do have a, a couple mantras uh, that I live by. One of the ones that has gotten me through uh, the challenging times of running a startup is that the, the fact of the matter is nothing's ever really as, as bad as it seems. Like, you know, if something goes south, if a deal blows up, if a client pulls out, it's not that bad, right? Like you still, you're still here. Your team is still here. You're still fighting and the sun will come up tomorrow. It's not the end of the world. Just keep pushing, put your head down and go, right? Uh, but it's also got to be balanced out with the other side. Nothing's ever as good as it seems either. You could have the best conversation with a prospective client. You could have the best conversation with a VC and they just disappear, right? So you're riding high and then it just doesn't happen. And you can't let that get you down. Like the reality is if you have the ability and uncanny ability to stay level through the process as an entrepreneur, that will work out for you in spades. And so I've finessed that. And it, it took a consulting company uh, to really kind of get us there uh, because we had instances where we almost ran out of cash, right? It's like, you know what? 
We will figure this out. It's not the end of the world. And there's instances where we almost ran out of cash here percent as well. And you know what? You figure it out. It's not the end of the world. Uh, and at the same time, we've had instances where we thought the partnerships would be done deals here, that it would be a huge uplift in revenue. And it just disappears. It doesn't work out as you expect. And so not being able to succumb to the highs and lows of this and just being able to keep a level head will be the most important skill any founder, any entrepreneur can have because it helps you make better decisions along the way. I mean, obviously, easier said than done. No? I mean, I, I've been there, you know, with one of my last companies, we, we, we almost ran out of money like six times. No? So I, I know. Well, I'm I know, halfway I know there. I got three. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so I, know, I know the feeling. But, 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 but this is so profound what, what you're sharing. And, and what, what came to mind there that I'd love to, to get your take on is when you're going through one of those tough times, let's say you're, you're about to, you know, run out of money, you know, runway is tight. How do you quiet the mind? How do you how do you quiet those what ifs that are hitting you and that are like so difficult to deal with? Yeah, it's going back to that unwavering belief in yourself, right? Because you need that confidence. Because the moment that confidence slips, for example, if you're running out of cash, you asking somebody for money, uh, even though they in a normal situation would give you money, if they don't sense that confidence from you that you're going to put it to good work, that it's going to be used effectively, that it's going to make a huge difference, they're not going to give it to you, right? So you cannot in any way, shape or form convey any sense of fear, any sense of doubt. And so pairing the ability to stay level headed with a confidence or quiet confidence in yourself, you will go very far as a result of that. Um, and I think I've, if I had done percent when I first quit BlackRock, I would have failed definitely, for sure, right? Because I haven't gone through the ups and downs of that services business, of the consulting business, where you learn how to keep a level head along the way, where you have trouble making payroll sometimes, you figure it out. That creativity without the stress is tantamount and incredibly important towards the startup journey and the entrepreneurial journey, um, because it's going to take all the creativity you got when things are really challenging and you cannot let fears, what ifs and doubts cloud your mind. You just need to basically believe that it's all going to sort itself out. And if it doesn't, to be honest, as the founder, you're going to be fine. Like you will always be fine because that's in your nature. And so you just need to always kind of believe that it's going to work itself and that you have the ability to do it because uh, that will be what carries you through good times and bad. I love that. Nelson, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Yeah, it's, we're easy to find. It's just percent.com. If you're interested in private credit investment opportunities yielding above 15% in this environment. Uh, but for me personally, I would be happy to chat with anybody who wants to learn more, hear my story or learn more about percent. I'm just at Nelson at percent.com. You see enough. Well, Nelson, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thanks so much for having me. It was great talking to you. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.